Welcome to Evensong. It's another Saturday night. Uh, We're going to be continuing a new, we're actually going to be starting a new series uh, on the gospel of truth in 1945. Can you believe this? This is the type of day and age we live in. Books of the Bible previously that we did not have were found in Nag Hammadi, Egypt. You might have seen on the news, they found some more ancient texts in Israel, and now everybody's going in those caves now to try to find more texts because they give more clarity to the story. They affirm what we already believe, but not just affirm what we already believe. Some of the books we didn't have. And so we get to see, we get a look, we get a glimpse into, you know, there were different varieties of Christianity back then. And so we're, we get a glimpse, we get to look at, uh, you know, what's going on, what was going on back then. So there is a word that must be understood before we move forward in the next series. I told my friend, I got to give a preface. This is a preface sermon. And the word that we need to know before we go into the next series, it's a word called it's contextualization. What this means is that when you look at someone or something, you have to consider the environment it's taking place in, the conditions, the conditions around something, surrounding a particular subject. If you look just at the subject, you may not fully be able to understand or you may make a judgment about what you're actually looking at. So you have to consider the context in which the subject is placed. It can be easily understood in this way. Let's say I know a young guy, a guy who is finding his way, He isn't working, but you would think that he's a really great person when you met him. He has a degree and can get a job, but he's so idealistic that he'll start working somewhere and quit when the boss shares their political views. He stays up late. He wakes up whenever he wants. I'm not describing myself, by the way. But he volunteers 20 hours a week. He's a mentor to two kids at an after-school program, and he's the kind of guy that would give you the shirt off his back. Sounds great. Sounds like a really nice guy, right? But if I told you that he is married and has four young children, that would change what you thought about him. He turns out to not be such a nice guy when we consider his context. When we look around at his environment, The story can change. He can go from being a really nice guy to actually being a really irresponsible person who's not taking care of his own. This goes to show you that without context, without understanding the full picture, a a whole story about someone or something could be completely misunderstood. As you may have noticed, Put it right there. There's a giant G on that book, on the Bible. We're looking at Gnostic texts from early Christianity. Books that the church back then, they, 
intentionally did not want us to see. They wanted to establish a Christianity based on how they, certain bishops and priests, we learned a couple of new stories last over the last few months, but certain male bishops and priests thought that we wouldn't be able to understand what we were reading, so they deemed them not worthy. This word Gnostic can sometimes scare people, but for others, it's a very fascinating subject. The church, let me tell you, the church has done a terrible job at explaining what Gnostic Christianity really is all about. I remember once when I was at a CVS here in Greenwich, and I was just looking around. I saw some kids with their parents. It was so quiet. Everyone was proper, nice, well-behaved. And I noticed this because a couple weeks before, I happened to be at a CVS in Queens, New York, where I grew up. And you know those mirrors that let you see what's happening in the aisles? Not only was I seeing, but I was also hearing how loud the kids were, how loud parents were, all yelling at the kids to stop grabbing everything off the shelves. And I just laughed in the, in the quiet CVS I was here in, in Greenwich. I had no judgments about what I observed. I grew up in Queens and was like, yep, that's how it is where I'm from. And my wife grew up in Greenwich and I was like, yep, but this is how it is where she's from. Queens parenting may look a little different than Greenwich parenting. Both may seem strange to each other, but it's still parenting. And look, Ashley and I are happily married with kids, right? I think we're happily married, right? It's going pretty well, despite the parenting styles we both grew up in. We grew up in different environments, and the parenting matched the environment we were in. That's how I want us to look at Gnostic Christianity. It's going to be Christianity, but it's going to sound a little different. But the means satisfy the ends. Christ, in these texts, Christ is glorified. He's the Savior. He's the light of the world. And he is the way in which we come to know who God is. Today we begin a series on the Gospel of Truth. You know how we've done the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary? This one's called the Gospel of Truth. And if you want to find it, you can go on YouTube or in the description. I have a link to it. Um, and it's written by this guy named Valentinus, who you may have never heard of. He almost, you know, he almost became the Bishop of Rome. That's a pretty important job, right? That's the Pope. This guy almost became a bishop in Rome. But before I dive full in force into this book called The Gospel of Truth, I, wanna, I thought it best to give us some context, going back to that word. I want to do this because we've come to know the term Gnostic in a very different way in 2021. Scholars today would be hesitant to go along with how the church has often represented it. Discoveries of more texts, texts that come from the Gnostics themselves, found in Nag Hammadi, Egypt, have let us hear about the diversity of thought 
that existed in the proto-Orthodox period of the church, before we had the canon, before we, they put together the Bible, before Constantine got involved, early Christianity was quite diverse. There's lots of different beliefs. The leading scholar that really changed this whole conversation on Gnostic Christianity was Walter Bauer. You do not get his books because they're so expensive. I even had to go find the PDF version of it. But I'll tell you what he wrote about. And his scholarship proved that there just there wasn't just one original form of pure Christianity after Jesus died. Rather, there were a variety of Christianities, just like we have today, don't we? Today, we have a sense of respect for other people's beliefs, their interpretations, and how they chose to express their Christian faith. I bet that the church across town that waves flags, has their hands up during service, and leans more towards prophetic and healing uh, types of services, they would not think we, as Congregationalists, practice the best form of Christianity. We barely move in church. We're more reserved in our expression of worship. And we lean more towards the academic side of biblical interpretation. And we're more open to, say, you know, having women lead in church. And I would marry a, a, someone from the LGBTQ community where they might not. They have different beliefs. I see all of these clergy at fellowship gatherings, and we love and respect each other, at least publicly. So we all have kind of learned to get along. But this was not the way they handled things back in the day. Back in the day before the 4th century, we call it the proto-Orthodox, before Orthodoxy, uh, Christianity was very loose, very localized. They wrote their own books. Did you know this? They wrote their own books, their own Gospels. That's why we found different Gospels. You go to a Catholic church and they have more books in their Bible because it's lo it's, that's what they chose. So these local communities would have Gospels of their own, their own interpretation of Jesus. According to the context they lived in. Jewish people, they cared a lot about prophecy because they had a whole Old Testament, a whole book that had requirements for someone being the Messiah. But if you go to Rome, in Egypt, or in Edessa, in regions who came to know Christ later, they didn't have, they, they, they didn't grow up with an Old Testament. They didn't have that backstory. In fact, when Paul went to spread the news about Jesus, remember, there was no New Testament. They likely didn't have the Old Testament. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 9, this is what he says, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. He says, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I did enter their world, and I tried to experience things from their point of view. 
I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all of this because of the message. That's what Paul writes. So Paul didn't bring a Jewish message about Christ to the Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. He instead went into their world and considered their context, where they lived. He was a Roman citizen himself, so he kind of knew how to do this. And he became flexible. He looked at the community to which he spoke, and he contextualized the gospel for them. He wrote it in their own vernacular. Leslie Newbegin, a famous Christian missionary and theologian, wrote, the value of the word contextualization is that it suggests the place of the gospel in the total context of a culture at a particular moment. Do you think that, you know, some strangers would understand our format of service? If you went to another country, you might see Christianity practiced so different than it is here. A professor in seminary taught us saying, listen to this, he said, cups come in all shapes and sizes, right? And the gospel is like water poured into a cup, into all those cups of different shapes and sizes. His point was to show us that Christianity will always look different, just like the water in the cup has a different form based on how the cup is shaped. The gospel will fill a culture up by giving them the refreshing good news of Jesus Christ, but it will be in accord with that culture. They will make it their own. When Paul went to the Gentiles, he didn't ask them to follow Jewish customs. He didn't ask them to eat kosher food. He didn't want them to read the Torah or follow Moses' law. And most importantly, because I think this would have been a little, a tough pitch, he didn't want these adult guys to have to get circumcised. That's a hard entry point. And you'll read in Paul's letters that this was a huge dilemma that his fellow Jews were facing because they wanted uniformity. But Paul argued against that. The Jewish Christians wanted Gentiles to conform to their style, their brand of Christianity. But Paul insisted that the gospel needed to be contextualized as it spread out from Jerusalem. It wouldn't have worked any other way. The Greeks, they were pantheistic. They had a large variety of gods. They loved myths. They loved philosophy. And so when Paul came to them, he did what any good missionary would do. He translated the gospel into their culture. This is now where we are introduced to the word Gnostic. Okay? I'm going to teach you the right way to understand this word. I've read a lot of books. Ask my wife. All I do is read these books. I don't even get into much of it in these sermons, but I do it to make sure I know what I'm talking about. And most people, most people have no idea what they're talking about when they talk about the subject. Gnostics were the sages, the wise people who taught in schools of thought called heresies. That's, that's the Greek word. That's a Greek word, heresies. Now watch. 
you may notice that term, that term sounds like the word heresy. Heresy, back then, it was not a bad word to the Greeks. It only became bad when the Christians got some authority to enforce their particular practice of Christianity. But before the fourth century, it was commonly used to describe what kind of school of thought you belong to. When the church did start clamping down on interpretation, they went from being, this, this is sad, they went from being the persecuted to being the persecutors, burning churches down. Can you believe this? We would not stand for this. But back then it was a different world, very different place. They turned into the persecutors and they went after these schools of thought they thought were leading people away, but they were really just leading people away from their brand, their style of the gospel. Like Paul wrote to his closed-minded peers, you'll see Paul, he's, he's arguing with the Jerusalem church a lot in the letters. Like Paul wrote to his closed-minded peers, like Leslie Newbigin advised missionaries, and like my professor taught in seminary, we must be considerate of the culture in which we want to communicate. Because if Jesus is the way, truth, and life for all people, we have to fit that way, that truth, and that life into the cup, into the culture to whom we speak. And so we're going to look at Valentinus. It's called Valentinian Christianity, which in some ways was Gnostic. In some ways it wasn't. We are going to open up the text and have a look at this slightly different form of Christianity and ask if there's anything about it that can help deepen our faith. Remember Mary? That deepened my faith going through that. Reading that deepened my faith, especially as we did it during Easter, because we, we really saw how prominent of a role she played. And it, it doesn't have to replace or get rid of anything that we've learned. It can just enhance. Oh, I now know a little more about Mary. I didn't know that she was the teacher of the teachers, the teachers of the apostles. And I see why they might have left that out, because they, it says right in the regular Bible, they didn't want women to speak in the church. They said, go ask your husband at home. We, that would not, we would say, Paul, I'm sorry, but you need to go to the church across from town, across the town. So we're going to open this up and see if it can help us. Remember, if it can't, get rid of it. If it does, thank you. Thank you, God, for giving us. Maybe you won't like it. Maybe it isn't for you. But I believe in understanding rather than blindly making a judgment about something without having seen all the facts myself. While I trust that the church has every, you know, everything it's given to us, I'm also not naive enough to think that politics, agendas, and opinions did not play a factor in what got into this book and what was left out of it. Today, we live in an amazing period. This is such an amazing period. We are so lucky to be alive. Where archaeology and the liberal arts and sciences are giving us a second chance 
to reconsider. All we had about the Gnostics was what the church fathers who didn't want us to read it wrote. So tell me that it was going to be biased, right? We found their books from them, and all the scholars have done a complete 180. They cannot book. This is like, oh, there's a re- there, there's, there was a, a little debate going on, and I sh- talked a few weeks ago about showing you there were debates in Scripture. Remember Paul and Peter got into a fight? I love that they included that in the Bible because they had differing ab- opinions. You don't think that that just got worse and worse? <laughs> so we, wanted, we just want to be aware that this stuff, that, that there was stuff going on behind the scenes. We live in a time where we get a second chance to look at this. Look at what Gnosticism is and how Gnostic Christianity might contribute something all these years later. They, they used to go to church with everybody. They would be in, in this room, sitting right next to you. You would go to their Bible study. They'd come to Easter. It was only when you know, priests and bishops said, oh, he says the same things, but They don't mean the same thing. Would we ever kick somebody out of church for that today? Never. But they did that back then. I think that if we look at these again, it could be helpful to us. All these years later, it might rekindle a passion for how we understand Christ. Wouldn't it be nice to hear what somebody else thought? It was nice to hear what Mary and Thomas thought. They might rekindle a desire to know Christ more. You might read the Bible in a different way. They were very allegoric, and and, uh, they looked at the Bible more figuratively. So sometimes when we read the passage and we go, ah, how how could the Israelites, you know, how did God split the water and they walked through that? Well, they would look at that figuratively and say, that's kind of like what baptism is. You know, when you when you're in one place where you are a slave or oppressed, and then you walk through the water and you came out a new person with a new life ahead of you, they would have said, that's, you know, I've never seen water split, but I have seen somebody change their lives after they've come to know Christ. That's how they would have looked at the Bible. Isn't that a nice, so we're going to look at their refreshing allegorical perspectives on Scripture. And they give us a refresh, you know, they, the way they viewed the cross. I just got this, this new cross that has a tree in it. If you've ever seen a tree inside a cross, they saw the cross as like the tree of life in the garden. And when Jesus died, he didn't die for our sins. He died to give us the knowledge of the tree of life. Remember what we ate in the garden at first, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What Christ does is he dies on that tree. And what happens is his death is like the seed that fell to the ground on all those disciples. And the truth got planted in them. And they, he gave them eternal life. They now can eat from the tree of life. They saw, isn't that beautiful? It's all, and they, they put it all together in such a fresh new way. And as modern day Christians in 2021, in a world where Christianity is kind of, you know, If there was a stock, it would be going down a little bit. Wouldn't it be nice to just maybe change the trajectory by offering more to the story, something that is legitimate that we found? 
I look forward to taking us deeper into this subject. I'll start it next week. This was kind of our intro, the one, the, the classroom. And next week, we're going to have a look for ourselves. You know, you see on TV, oh, they discovered something in the cave, in the monastery. But why has it taken so long for the church to present this to us? Right? We see the news article, but we, don't, we never hear the impact of that. We're going to do that here. Here at Second Congregational Church of Greenwich, we're going to be pioneers together. The feedback I'm getting on these messages is hundreds of times, no joke, hundreds of times more than, you know, everybody's heard every Easter version, every Palm service, every Palm Sunday sermon, everybody's heard. Maybe we'll talk about something new at our, you know, at our unique and different Evensong service. Why not? Jackie, you come, you know, it's nice that you hear, you know, something new, and then something traditional the next day. That's nice. We, that's what we offer here at this church. Diversity. So we're going to be pioneers together. People who have open minds to consider what these, these are treasures. You know how much these things sell for? Not, they're priceless. <laughs> they're, they, these books are priceless. It is miraculous that we found them. If you want, there's a place you can check uh, out these texts online, and you can go on YouTube or uh, my website where I take all of the stuff I teach and I put it in one clump, and it, we have podcast versions of this now, uh, and we're up on YouTube. And so you can, you can look at the Gospel of Truth online, or you can buy a copy of the Gnostic Bible so that you can follow along with us at home. This is going to be an exciting, I guarantee this, it's going to be an exciting and enlightening look at how other people, people who, never got, who we never got to hear from, how they perceived Jesus early on. My friend went to, Af- uh, he went over to Africa once, and their worship, their wor- you know, we have this organ, we have Ellie, we have Alexander, all they had was a drum. <laughs> and they sat in a circle, and they just played a drum. And my friend said, I could have stayed there for hours and hours the way that they worshiped there. So diversity gives, it can give, it can make us grateful for what we have. It also can inspire us to say, I liked that style. You know, just like we have different music than we do at our traditional service, variety is good. This will help us understand Jesus better, I think. It has for me. I look forward to teaching it and hearing your feedback. Feel free to send me an email, sean, S-H-A-W-N, at 2cc.org. I hope that you enjoy this coming week. It's so beautiful out. And uh, stay tuned for next Saturday service as we dive into the gospel of truth. God bless and amen.